Welcome to Disambiguation. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. Each week, we interview experts in AI, generative AI, and business automation to help business leaders understand how to use these tools for the biggest business impact. In our show today, we look at methods for grounding generative AI. I'm joined by Ryan Shalak, um, Director of Data and AI Product Marketing, and Rohit Kapoor, VP of Product for Search and AI Platforms, both from Salesforce. Welcome, guys. Um, so. Yeah, just to just to get us started, um, why don't you do just a quick intro? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of what you do at uh, at Salesforce. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Uh, hey, Michael, thanks for having us, and looking forward to like this conversation. So, uh, as you said, I'm VP of Product at Salesforce AI. I've uh, been at Salesforce for about six years. I'm mostly responsible for our search services and AI experiences across our entire platform. And uh, over the last year and a half, we've been like working through like delivering these services in this new world of like generative AI. Uh, prior to this, I was at Bing. So give or take, I've been working in the AI space for like 12 years. Uh, super proud to be wearing that Bing badge and seeing all the cool stuff that those folks at Bing are doing with OpenAI as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Ryan? I've also been at Salesforce for about six years now. Rohit and I have very similar Thanks. timelines, uh, though in my role as Director of AI Data Product Marketing, uh, I've focused on a few other things, more like the messaging and the positioning and go-to-market strategy for our generative AI offerings here at Salesforce. Um, I've spent five years of my six years on the developer experience at Salesforce, Salesforce mm -hmm. DX as it's called. Um, and a lot of my time has also been spent now on what we call Einstein Copilot Studio, which is the future of configurability. Still kind of thinking of how people build and extend Salesforce, but now applying that to generative AI. So excited to talk with you, Michael. Yeah, great. No, I, I really am glad you guys could join. I, um, I, you know, I did an episode at Dreamforce and, and got to talk to some uh, Salesforce uh, executives about different parts of what you're doing with AI. But um, as I was listening to the pre-brief you did recently for, um, for one of the, the um, world tour events, um, you talked a lot about grounding and about some of the interesting things that you've been doing from a platform perspective to help with uh, you know, factual and relevant and contextual um, you know, out of the generative AI world and trying to avoid hallucinations, that sort of thing. So it just got me really thinking about that. And it's not something I've done a, a show on before. So I thought it would be really interesting to the audience to talk a bit more about uh, both kind of in general, the ideas, but then also some specific ways that you've done things in the platform that I think are really uh, interesting. So maybe we just start at, with the basics and talk a little bit about uh, key challenges, you know, to ensure that generative AI models are contextually relevant and factually accurate. And then, you know, what is this term grounding? What does that actually mean? Yeah, so maybe I can kick that off. Like, so at the heart of all these like Gen AI applications are these like foundational models, like these large foundational models that have been trained on massive amounts of data that have like, that retains that in its memory. Right. And so they have these super powerful linguistic abilities, like content creation abilities. Mm. That's like at the heart of all of this. But then what ends up happening is that there are like a few problems that happen when you actually try to like build business applications on top of these foundational models. Right. And the very first thing that we hear about is this word that is now in our lingo everywhere is hallucinations. Right. Like these, they produce like factually incorrect responses. 
So how do you solve for that problem? Then the other problem that ends up happening is that they're trained on data that they can access. This is like why usually public corpus information, they don't have access to your private enterprise data. It doesn't have access to the voice of your brand. It doesn't have access to your records, your information. So it's not aware about all this information to like when it gives us responses. The third problem is knowledge cutoff. Like they're all trained at a certain date. Like GPT-4 is trained until April 2023. It just is trained until then. That's And after that, it's not aware of anything else that happens. Mm-hmm. And the fourth is like, while they have like such a big memory, uh, so it can like generate responses, it can't give you insights on how it generated the responses, like which point of the memory it's like referring to, to generate the responses. So your users can't actually develop empathy or trust with the AI. Like, Mm. hey, where did this response actually originate from? Like, what's the original source? All of these like four problems that I just mentioned in with foundational Mm. models are addressed by RAG. Like, which is called retrieval augmented generation. Mm-hmm. This is another phrase for like grounding, like the act of grounding these LLMs. So very quickly, like how that works is like the very first thing, the hallucination problem. So what grounding does is the act of like retrieving relevant content from any system using like database operators or programmatic operators, and then including that relevant content in your instructions to these foundational models. So it kind of creates that bounding box, like, hey, LLM, just respond, just generate the response based on this relevant information that I'm sending you that I have retrieved. So given that bounding box, there's a lesser chance of hallucination. So it's using its vast memory to like generate language, but it's using just that bounding box to give a very focused response that's relevant to the task at hand. And then the other affect is like with like your access to private data and knowledge cutoff Mm. all of this is solved you're just at real time fetching your latest and fetches date precious data and including that in your prompt to to send as instructions to the llm and finally since you know what you're including in the prompt now you can show citations so in your final business application you can actually show hey this prompt was generated from these sources you can actually show citations to like for your customers to like build trust with that. So those are like some of the four problems that customers face with generative models that are solved with RAG. Mm. And, and I would assume too that um, you know part of the issue when you when you're not dealing with with public like you chat GPT, you know, it's a totally different kind of experience than I want to use this in my business. Yeah. And I have business information that may or may not be sensitive that I don't want the model to train on, but I need it, right? So, so the, this helps you get that context that you couldn't get yeah. otherwise. That, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I think like, there are a couple of ways to address that. There's this notion in the industry, like you can fine tune models, like you can take a foundational model, a base model, and you can fine tune that based on your private data or for a specific task. But that the act of fine tuning is complex. It's not cheap. And you require certain skill sets, tools need to be built around it. But even if you fine-tune models, it's a moment in time. It's not going to represent your data that is changing minute by minute, hour by hour. So in all these cases, you need like grounding. So like, hey, let me 
to to solve for this problem like access to private data let me first fetch my private data from data cloud like salesforce data cloud right. as an example and then just ground my generative models on that response mm. i mean like to 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 talk about this in like the public model frank because i know mm -hmm. of a lot of people probably seeing this i know that in some of the uh, GPT engines that you deal with, you can upload a PDF and give it some additional information, or it's connected to the live internet connection, so it it got, can look things up versus where where it has a cutoff, right? So, so that, it sounds like that's similar. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more involved in this when you're talking about business uh, uses, but yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think like uh, when we talk about grounding in the form of like there are multiple ways, mm. there are multiple types of content that in the enterprise that people want to ground on. It could be textual content, living in like your knowledge articles, content management systems or files like PDFs, or it actually could be multimodal. It could be like voice recordings of your previous meetings with customers. It could be like audio, audio files. Or it could be like in the commerce world, it could be like images, like image content. So all these forms of content are the different types of content you want to like ground on, which is what we are enabling on the Salesforce platform. Mm -hmm. And then separately, there's this notion, I think it's a misnomer in the industry, at least like the way I like to say it, it's like grounding has been tied to search. Like, mm -hmm. like, hey, for me to retrieve this content, I need to like search for this content. But the act of grounding is I just need to retrieve it. You can retrieve it in by using like your traditional SQL query to just like fetch mm. the relevant content, like selection-based, where you know the rules. Mm. You could use search to fetch the relevant content, or you could actually even get it like programmatically. Like you could access it through like just like APIs or something. So there are like these different modalities of like fetching different mechanisms to fetch these different types of sources. And this entire pipe sounds super complex, but this is where we come in. What we do staying true to like Salesforce's value prop, which has always been is like enhancing, delivering value to like trailblazers, right. like a no code mechanisms of like solving super complex technical systems, like building super complex technical systems. So we have like no code mechanisms for you to achieve grounding in your AI applications. That's where the beauty is of the capabilities that we are building on our AI and data cloud platform. Yeah, yeah. and I would add something too to that, Rohit. You know, Michael, you're yeah. thinking also about some of these uh, um, emerging trends we're seeing. You think of, you know, the plug-in paradigm. And I don't think mm -hmm. as an industry we've kind of fully locked in on that one. And what's the exact shape of it? How do you achieve interoperability? around you know, all of these co-pilot patterns that are emerging. Uh, mm -hmm. Search is a, is a component of that, but to the point Rohit's been making, all of this kind of comes back to RAG, actually. It, it's still a retrieval augmented generation, enriching that prompt with relevant context based on the user's request or their input or the context that they're in. And so when we think about it at Salesforce, we're, we're approaching you know, every facet of, of this pattern as it emerges RAG and even the co-pilot pattern, mm -hmm. uh, but it's really important for us that it be managed. And we think that that's something that our customers deeply appreciate. And we yeah. think it's also just a fun challenge. It's fun because you're kind of finding like, what is the absolute, you know, tightest pipeline you can achieve that still gets to all of the business objectives you're trying to accomplish as an organization. And it allows us to have some incredible conversations with our customers who are, you know, experimenting, they're using, you know, libraries like LangChain, they're building this 
um, and they're achieving great things doing document Q&A, but then they're looking to Salesforce as they think, how do I scale this? And I think a lot of vendors like Salesforce, that's what we're thinking is like, what is the best way to scale this, especially as this entire space evolves? And we all kind of accept that RAG is not just, you know, an optional feature. It's becoming kind of a right. mandate in how you do generative yeah. AI when you need it to be relevant and factual and pretty much all that needs to be. So it's a very exciting space. Yeah, I mean, I think it is exciting. And I, I know, you know, it, in in the ability to m provide more uh, confidence and trust, that's obviously a big part of this too, and a part of use and adoption. So that makes, you know, that makes sense. Um, so so there's some technology involved in this that we didn't really talk about. And so I'd like to, to maybe go uh, in the direction of talking about vector databases first and how that uh, can enhance the capabilities in an AI application, uh, particularly, you know, handling large scale complex data. And then can we maybe have some examples of where or why the vector database has been used in the Salesforce platform um, and, and what the benefit is? Yeah. Um, uh, Ryan, do you want to start with the examples? And then yeah, let me start with the examples. And I think it's actually, yeah. Yeah, I, I like where your head's going there too. You know, Michael, one of the things that's exciting around vector databases is that, you know, there's an entire sort of cottage industry that's popping up where people are recognizing this isn't going to be something that is, you know, optional. It's something that in some way, shape or form is required. And some folks start small. They start with, you know, NumPy arrays or they're, you know, looking at PG vector as they, as they, or a Redis search. And this is exciting because then you start to get a taste of, wow, this is something that can really increase and, and improve the and quality and usability of the work that I'm doing. Um, but you can't just do it in a vacuum. It, a lot of this actually emerges from use cases. And at Salesforce, we kind of start with that customer use case and then work back towards to, backwards towards what is that, that stack that we need here. Um, so I'll pass it right up to the stack. But talking about some of the use cases, one of the most important for our customers is search that is grounded or replies to a customer through generative AI that are grounded in knowledge articles, really your knowledge base. So think about, mm -hmm. you know, think of a car manufacturer um, dealing with customers who are calling in or texting in, chatting in around, I have any issue with, with these parts that I have uh, for this vehicle that you've rolled out. What you want to provide is a response that's grounded in product manuals. It has information around warranties and the breadth of warranties available to a customer. You have to combine a lot of different pieces together. It's something that RAG is uniquely suited for because mm -hmm. pretty much all customer service conversations get to some point where in the past, you'd be left with kind of like, you know, we'd call it like a wall of blue links. You know, hey, hey check all this information out. You're thinking, great, homework. Uh, that's what I need now. I need more homework. No, I, what you want is the ability to go and find the right passages of information, those right succinct extractions yeah. from all that, pull that together, give that to the LLM, let the LLM summarize that, and then you bring that answer mm -hmm. back in the flow of work to the customer. That's one of the most potent use cases for retrieval augment generation. It's kind of that um, grounded retrieval against your, yeah. your knowledge base. Especially, you know, you think about the, the you know, the, the structure of that knowledge base. It's probably a lot of unstructured PDF style data or data in rich right. text format. Sometimes, you know, data that's easier to get at, like object data within Salesforce. But that's typically an example. Others example, though, that you can get more creative, though. Some of the common use cases we see going in manufacturing, they're around, you know, detecting anomalous behavior within mm. a product or uh, taking in streaming data from, let's say, you know, a machinery, bringing in kind of telemetry from the machinery and finding through similarity search, semantic search, uh, a lot of different names for roughly the same thing. I don't want to get pedantic, but um, this idea of using, you know, search against 
high dimensionality uh, vectors, um, this idea of finding behavior that is unusual, flagging people who are maintaining that equipment, owners of, of that equipment, that's you know a, another type of use case, but it's still largely yes. relying on a combination of a large language model and you know uh, using more classic machine learning techniques, uh, k nearest neighbors algorithms to find unusual behavior, spot that behavior, mm-hmm. and alert folks to that. And so some of those are not new in in my opinion, but you're seeing kind of new life breathed into them because they're yeah. paired with other use cases that are very much centric to generative AI. But Rod, I'll pass you. Talk more about this this kind of vector database, like what this thing is too, that's supporting this. Yeah, yeah, I, and like on that front, like I guess, like I, I come from the search world, right? I've been working on search for like twelve years, so vector databases are not new, and they are. We've always needed mechanisms to like retrieve information, and is the world is taking notice on its applicability now in the generative AI. So just like taking a step back, like when what has traditionally happened in like search systems when people type like a query in the search box we usually find content by matching the words in the query by matching the word with the words in the content and that's mm-hmm. traditionally been done um using these like inverted indexes so think of like these uh lucene systems elastic search systems and mm-hmm. all these systems so they just and then there's like some fuzzy matching that happens like hey spell corrections synonyms and all of those works have been added. But since then, people have been, you'll notice this in Google and your consumer search engines as well. Even in the enterprise space, the same thing happens. People want to be more expressive in their queries. They express them in natural language. They express their query in natural language, which has like a particular meaning. So now you want to match based on the meaning in the natural language query with the meanings of your, in your content. Now that is what vector database enables and it's been enabling for the last like six, seven years. Mm. Uh, what it effectively does, it takes all your content and represents this into this vectors, which is just basically think of dimensions, like an array of like uh, thousands of like floating point numbers. And that this puts them in like a space, like call it like in some vector space. And now your incoming query comes in, which is also put in the same vector space. Now, the closer the two vectors are, you know they're closer, they're together in the meaning. And so you're able to retrieve that content effectively. That's where like vector database comes in. So vector database start started getting used in search domains. Like we started using it in Salesforce search long time back. Now what's happening is in the world of generative AI, you think about the biggest modality that customers engage with these generative models is natural language is like text right so people in the chat if you use chat gpt you have your chat pane you're typing these long questions and it's just like uh and the same thing goes with uh einstein copilot that we just recently announced like people are just typing these things in like these long form like texts so now how do you like find relevant content to this like long form text that your agents or your end users have like written in the copilot? That's where Vector DB comes in. Mm. So now what we do is we take all your enterprise content that you've connected and ingested into data cloud. We transform that into vectors natively, store it in our data cloud so that we can match it to the copilot requests. Right. Mm. And we just match it to the copilot request, return the results. And the 
I remember when eight years back, the prime example given was like uh, uh, male plus ruler equals to like king, right? right? Those are the logical operations you can run when you represent words in these vectors. That's the mm. power of it and the beauty of it and why people are discovering its applicability in Gen AI. One mm. quick note though, like at least uh, where the industry is headed, there's this uh, notion that vector dbs is all you need to achieve rag but we don't believe that like we fundamentally don't believe that what we what is truly needed is this notion called hybrid search we can expand into that if needed which is that combines the classical mm -hmm. retrieval mechanisms of like keywords matching and mm -hmm. as well as vector matching so it combines both of them to return the highest quality the highest accuracy results mm -hmm. for the user's query so a prime example where this comes in is the user could ask a question that contains a very specific product name, like a model number. Now that model number can't be translated into vectors quite well. So that's why you need keyword matching and a hybrid search system, which we're delivering as well uh, right. to achieve this. But yeah, that's 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 vector DB and we're delivering it natively in our data cloud. Yeah. I mean, that, so the, the example, Ryan, you used, I think, is an easy one to picture, and that is the, the customer service agent and using the use of the copilot, Einstein copilot, or, you know, some virtual assistant, because you're talking, to, especially in a complex product situation, you're talking about a job that's difficult, and it's real time or near real time, and it involves a, a large amount of information that needs to be parsed quickly so you can find an answer because time matters right mm -hmm. so in that situation what you just described then i have all of my knowledge base <clears throat> in whatever forms i have that and i can ask my assistant to find that information quickly for the customer and they can help me get that list of potential problems and solutions down very quickly to what you want Is that is that accurate? I mean, does that make sense? It absolutely does. And recently, Rode and I both have some customer conversations around this. I've been speaking with some large insurers lately, mm -hmm. and this is something that they struggle with a lot, is that they have brought on many new agents. You think about COVID, it's not that far in the rear view. They onboarded a lot of agents, client service agents, during the pandemic. They never kind of had that in-person onboarding experience. They didn't pick up kind of those uh, rules of the road, if you will. And so something that's powerful to them around Einstein Copilot and the combination of, you know, think of the Copilot pattern, this idea of a generative AI assistant mm -hmm. plus retrieval augmented generation plus vector search or semantic search. The idea here is now you've effectively paired and to Rhodes' point, you need to kind of look towards the full lifespan of where this goes and think about things like hybrid search for the best results. But what you've done is you've paired your client service agent with theoretically the best agent, the most knowledgeable agent within the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's their Copilot. And it right. augments that agent, it improves their productivity, it makes them better. And something powerful for these folks that I speak with who are you know, looking after these teams, it builds their confidence. It allows them to have more time spent, you know, having kind of, you know, Michael, if I worked with you, having like the empathetic one-to-one -one around your wants, your needs, what you're expecting from our firm, and less, you know, me pretending to talk to you while I'm like searching through uh, <laughs> the information. I think right. this is the right thing, pinging it to you and, you know, and, and really running into that frustration of, you know, I'm not talking to a bot, but it's not much better. Um, and so we think yeah. that's the unlock here for for those customer service mm. scenarios. But it applies to many others. Sellers, sales representatives benefit from that yeah. too because they can effectively 
you know, to Rhodes' point, you bring you can bring in entire call transcripts of prior interactions, mm-hmm. take all of that information, take advantage of all the work that's been done in NLP over the ta- past 10 years, all the quick transcripts you can get and say, hey, you know, going to the conversation, you know, asking your, your AI assistant, what do I need to talk about with Michael? What are the top three things? And mm-hmm. going past, you know, six months of transcripts, finding that information, extracting it, and then telling sure. you where it came from. It's like that old meme of citations needed. Um, we're very much mm-hmm. in that space right now, but RAG satisfies that. So um, the use cases here are, are abundant, uh, but what's yeah. great about them is they, they really get to the heart of making employees and better and making customers happier, mm-hmm. which we're obviously all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that on both ends of that, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think, too, like, um, you know, as a sales uh, scenario, you think about the sales uh, person's role in a complex sale. It really is about building out an information model of uh prospect so you understand them you understand their needs and you understand if your solution can do the things they need to solve those problems that's a lot of information that you're trying to manage inside your head uh, (laughs) or maybe inside your head and in a some sort of note taking system and you know recordings and all those things but but that's still not a thing you can easily get back to and build out that whole sort of picture of what the prospect needs so having an assistant that could really, really make that uh, a much more effective and productive uh, conversation because you can get back to all that history and and summarize and pull that together. Yeah. Yeah, And I think like uh, there's another use case, which I can tell you a prime use case that's like live, which is not just agent facing, employee facing, but like customers facing on our own Mm -hmm. head.salesforce.com. We've delivered these drag capabilities. So you could try this today, log in on head.salesforce.com ask a question and you'll get a response, like a, a response that's grounded on all Salesforce's own proprietary data in data cloud, right? Like mm-hmm. all our knowledge, all our information, uh, all up there. And what it helps there is like we hear from customers is that they just don't want to help make agents productive. They also just want to like deflect these cases as quickly as possible, right at the top where these issues are coming up. So we are using this, Salesforce is using these technologies in its own system on our own like support portals. Uh, we are able to very effectively give a pointed answer to a customer's question that's like based on all our entire knowledge that's living in different systems, all consolidated. Um, and that's like a huge success story we have. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, I mean, Salesforce has always been known for using you know their own tools internally so that's i mean that that doesn't surprise me but but it is a a good way to demonstrate the power of what you're talking about um you know inside of this you mentioned semantic search a couple of times so maybe we could go there for a minute because i i just want to make sure everybody sort of understands what that is and how it relates to ai and then how you're using it in the platform with these other components yeah so i guess like uh the act of the, the semantic search is like retrieving information based on like meaning. So if some somebody asks a question, is like, uh, uh, how do I uh, how do I troubleshoot a broken glass or a shattered iPhone glass? And the word shattered may not exist in your like knowledge articles. It may be represented with the word word like broken. Okay. So what semantic search does is that it matches based on like meaning. To like fetch the right passages and the right mm-hmm. relevant chunks 
Uh, and that's what semantic search does. And what we've done in the platform is like on data cloud, uh, we've made it super easy for you, A, first, to bring in an, any knowledge or any like unstructured content you may have, whether that's living in like your hyperscalers, hyperscalers, or it's living in your like knowledge management systems. You can bring all of this like knowledge into data cloud, harmonize that. And then on top of that, you can enable semantic search, just like with a simple point and click, enable semantic search. And then all of that content gets used in your AI applications, like in your generative AI applications. So what we actually announced in New York World Tour is like the whole automated pipeline on how this works on data cloud, like super simple. We take the pain away from the customers to like realize grounding quite effectively. But at the crux of semantic search is, uh, uh, using matching based on meaning, based on the vector representations of all your content, um, or all your content. Yeah, and one thing to add to that too, Road, if you don't, if you don't mind, Michael, it something yep. around again, kind of the approach to this being managed. Uh, sometimes semantic search is is called vector search. Um, there are nuances to the terms, but the reason they say vector search is, you know, going back to what Road was explaining it later or earlier with the vector database. You're using this embedding model, which is a, a very specific type of large language model designed to yeah. translate, a, mm. a, you know, a, an input or request into that high dimensionality vector representation. It goes into high dimensionality space when it goes into the vector database, but you know, by converting the user input into that, you know, sort of long form numeric representation, it opens it up to classic machine learning, and that's why we call it vector yeah. search. You can kind of use these specific algorithms to then compare the input request or you know the the uh, utterance that you've captured against that you know vector story that you have that has in you know the exact kind of uh, dimension of arrays dimensionality all of that information that represents you know your knowledge articles and there's a whole you know rabbit hole yeah. of uh, or rat hole uh, potentially around how do you chunk this how do you create these index indices mm-hmm. um it's it's exciting uh it's complicated though for our customers many of them get so far as you know hey they've messed around with Langchain and uh, add a model from OpenAI, and they've created, you know, a document Q and A. But then again, they're thinking, how do they do this for everything? And and that's where we're always thinking again, back to that: how do we get this value proposition from mm-hmm. the customer, but reduce some of the 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 ground? You know, you can probably explain more the groundwork that they would need to invest in to yeah. make it happen. Mm-hmm. This is why I love working with Ryan and bouncing ideas off him. So it's like so far we're just talking about like semantic search in the context of like AI. But in right. reality, the data clouds vector DB that we are shipping and the search semantic search or vector search services we are shipping on top are not just limited for grounding your AI. Since this is so tightly integrated into our platform, like hmm. you can do process automations with it. So you want to use your unstructured content in your lightning flows. Like people are familiar with our flow right. engine, which is our process automation uh, mechanism. You can like fetch the relevant unstructured content in the context of your flows. You can use this in BI in your business analytical tools, like to do like your unstructured content is just not utilized to like mine insights from it and do like business intelligence from it. It's a very nascent field or nascent domain. Like now with these semantic search capabilities on data cloud, we are unlocking like and analytical tools on top of this content as well. And then of course there is grounding, which is the first use case that we are like talking about, like use sure. semantic search for grounding, but we are also focused on using it for like automations and our analytical tools. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, the, the other thing that hits me, too, about this, and, and I've seen this kind of play out in other ways that I've seen generative AI used, is that it really comes back to making the interaction with the system more natural and conversational versus I have to get somebody to write a SQL query or I have mm-hmm. to... Uh, you know, frame this search in a really specific way or even even prompt engineering. And we talk about this a lot, right? The more you move that back away from the user so that they're just interacting with the system in a natural way, the easier it is for them and the and the more effective and more productive they can feel because of that. Absolutely. The more we can make communication with your enterprise system in the language you use day to day, the easier it would be for you to do your tasks, mm-hmm. right? And that's what mm-hmm. we are trying to do with things like Einstein Copilot, which sure. uses RAG behind the scenes to fetch the relevant information in your lang- based on your request, mm-hmm. which is in your language. Yeah. Um, like that's what it enables. And uh, yeah. so it, it reduces the burden on training agents going back to that topic like you have you have an assistant with you all the time right yeah yeah i mean and and that could apply to a lot of different roles i mean one of the biggest issues i know for sales teams is onboarding and getting that salesperson up to speed and they say you know in a complex sale can take 9 months to get them fully productive and if you had an assistant that could you know tailor that to you the individual and walk you through that onboarding and learning and you know interacting with you you could get to be productive much faster it seems yeah so i think like there's one aspect of like 100% like training agents they can be productive much faster mm. but even for like experienced agents like let's say when i'm prepping like as a sales agent i'm mm. prepping for my call i want to know every everything about the customer I have my information living in so many systems. How do I fetch that? How do I like summarize that? That itself is a super complex and task and a time-consuming task. Like how do I get all the insights about this customer, all the prior meetings I've had, all the prior calendar invites I've had? How do I like respond to this customer that's grounded in all this information, 360 information about this customer? So even for them, we just like, even for experienced sales agents, this is like grounding generative AI is like a huge productivity boost. Mm. Well, I mean, it goes back to that idea too, that there's a lot of data, a lot of information you're trying to develop and, and manage, and it's more than you can manage inside of your brain. So you need to be able yeah. to use a system that can actually make that in a, in a, you know, in a much faster, simpler, natural way to, to get that information back when you need it. Yeah. 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 I, that makes sense. I, you know, just a, a simple observation too. I know as I just, just in using the tools, you know, on a daily basis, chat GPT, perplexity, you know, uh, Claude, all of these different sort of GPT engines. I I've noticed that I don't use search hardly ever uh, because all of a sudden I'm not, <laughs> I'm not asking a system to find a way for me to find an answer. I'm asking a system for an answer and it's providing it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a philosophical question. Ryan, do you want to take that? Or? <laughs> yeah. I'll say to you as a, as a hardcore per- perplexity fan, I, I know how you feel. It's it, it moved from, uh, I don't have my phone with me right now, unfortunately, but 
it quickly became kind of that bottom dock on my iPhone where I, yep. I've effectively replaced uh, Google search with that. I'm not the only one. It's becoming almost trendy to do that. Um, but I think it, it's rooted in something that is kind of driving a little bit of our product roadmap, to be honest, which is that people are very, very strongly oriented towards things that begin with outcomes, not things that begin with process. And it's yeah. great when you can start with the outcome. To your point, I think you were getting at this, Michael, which is I'm going to ask for the answer to the question, not the privilege of finding it. It's almost <laughs> like this is this is where search goes now um, and why there's going to be a really exciting, you know, probably set of competitors that will challenge the hegemony of some of the, you know, the big search vendors and they'll fight back too. But it's going to be ultimately great for customers and for, you know, users, for people like us, because mm -hmm. the end experience is richer than something we've ever experienced before. Um, even though to Rohit's point, some of it's really funny because like, it's not radically new. Uh, it's just finally gaining some of kind of its prime exactly. time recognition and it's getting it. I think you would you can elaborate on this Rohit too. Just the a lot of macro trends, reducing the cost of compute, the you know increased output of of GPUs. Uh, they're just making it easier for you to kind of scale these things. Mm -hmm. And and so that's kind of like the long tail here of where we're all going is you know we're going to have a new style of search available to us everywhere, and it, it includes our business applications. To put it in a very trivial sense, but something you know customers I work with they want they want to talk to their data. They want to talk yeah. to their data. They want to have a conversation with it, get the get the right response at the right time, and know where it came from. And that's yeah. a that's a huge order, but it's an important one. Yeah, and I think like on that note, like everybody has a job in mind that they want to get done when they're like coming to the search box. Like traditionally, they were just theoretically just typing the first step like let me type something to get to somewhere where i could do the job mm -hmm. now we are at this crux of this like technology with generative ai natural language understanding that we can actually enable customers to express their job that they want to do in the mm -hmm. search box mm -hmm. and like which is why i think like ryan is saying it's like it's, i love that statement right like we need agents want to be more outcomes focused so like type the outcome you want to accomplish and we will give you the result based on that. So this is why these worlds of search and GPTs and perplexity AI, which I'm a big fan of as well, they're like all like coming together. And we are trying to deliver that for our Salesforce customers. So we are soon going to be talking about, uh, like we think of the search box for like the agents and these co-pilots as like one single unified integrated experience and that's what like we are aiming to like get to like you could start your journey for the outcome you want to achieve on the search box and then continue that conversation onto the co-pilot or vice versa and that's right. like the north star we are aiming for yeah i mean it it really is a shift in um in the in the way traditional ai is used as well right because you saw you had things behind the scenes. You had algorithms. You had predictive algorithms. You, had, you know, prescriptioned all these things in the back end, but you weren't interacting with them as a user. But if you put generative AI in front of it, now I can naturally interact yeah. with all of these other capabilities that I don't even need to know they're there. I just need to know that as a salesperson, I can ask which of these five leads has the highest probability of closing this quarter. Mm -hmm and get an answer and i don't need to know how it got there i just need to know that i trust it and that yeah. then that's where i'm going to focus and and you you know expend my efforts 
Yeah. Yeah. That that the the prompt you asked is like the holy grail. Like we all want to mm-hmm. like make that happen. It's like super super complex to achieve because we've done this traditionally with like our predictive AI technologies, which is called like uh, opportunity scoring. Is the functionality we've had in a right. while. But our agents, sales agents, always say is like I don't trust these scores. Like what do these mm-hmm. scores mean? Right. Yeah. That same problem will happen even when they express that in natural language so either you display the score next to the opportunity or you do it in co-pilot and says like hey what are the top opportunities i need to like be working on the same problem will happen but generative ai makes it easier to communicate why you should trust these answers and it also improves the accuracy of those answers as well um yeah there's uh there's work to be done but we are super excited of realizing those scenarios mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, this is uh, this is a really interesting conversation, and I could certainly keep going for quite a while. But we are at the end of the time. Actually, we probably are a little over the end of the time that I would normally shoot for. But I, but again, great conversation. Uh, but before I let you guys go, one thing that I always like to ask guests to help the audience is um, for a recommendation of you know somebody, a thought leader, an author, somebody that's influenced your career or influenced the way you think about uh, AI that you could share that you think that would be of a benefit to the audience. Yeah, I can start there too. And I know this is a very popular one, but Andre Carpathy, who formerly at Tesla, now uh, at OpenAI, I think he was OpenAI, Tesla, now back at OpenAI, yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, he's a fun Twitter follow. And, and the reason why is your X follow, whatever it's called now, but he, it's, it's great to follow because it, he's also thinking very creatively around what does the kind of future application stack look like when you have generative AI threaded throughout so many different experiences, like all these things we're talking about over here, you know, effectively does the LLM become the operating system? Like these are, these are fun, especially as someone who is involved in, you know, uh, the markets themselves, the categories as they involve. Uh, they evolved. These are fun things to ponder. So I'd recommend following him if you're not following him already. I bet many of your listeners are, but good. good Maybe, but yeah, no, good recommendation. He's great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah, I think like on mine, I'll give somebody personal, like my mentor from my like old job at like Microsoft was Rangan Majumdar. He, I think like he taught me how to work on, on the most cutting edge technologies like AI and take the latest like research coming in and adapt it into like product. So we used to do that super effectively. Uh, and that has taught, taught me on how to like think think beyond current capabilities and apply research uh, from other domains into our tech. And he, he used to, was super proud about calling his team like startup school. And I completely agree with that. And as far as like I'm a product manager, like pure product skills don't change whether you're building an AI product or a non-AI product at Marty Kagan. Like I read his blogs like religiously, super Mm. practical advice Mm. on what do you think about building products, how the product field is evolving. Um, Highly recommend uh, in your pastime just reading his blogs. It's like, it's really good. Uh, Great recommendations. Thanks so much. And and Ryan and Roy, really uh, excellent conversation. Really interesting. And I really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to to talk to me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And that's the show for this week. Thank you all for joining. Remember to hit that subscribe button. And for more on AI and other software research reports and posts, check out the arianresearch.com slash blog and slash research reports. And don't forget to join us next week. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.